Welcome to the Drill Down. We've got business stories behind stocks and a move. I'm Corey Johnson with episode number 191. Well, just ahead, recreational boat maker Brunswick selling more engines than boats? And home furnisher RH reminds everyone why accounting matters. And the revenue growth at Smart Global Holdings. It's a lot more diverse than this memory semiconductor maker used to be. Look how they've addressed some new markets to hopefully reduce volatility. We're talking chips with Smart Global Holdings CEO Mark Adams right after this brief mention from our sponsors. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. Never miss another critical event or insight ever with ERA. Customize your company watch list and track key events, mentions, filings, and more. All within an easy-to-use, customizable interface. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And there are so many ways to listen to the Drill Down podcast, but you can make sure that happens by clicking the subscribe button. Follow us on your favorite podcast app. That way you'll be alerted to every episode as it drops. And the Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. Hi, I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to the Drill Down. We've got business stories behind stocks and a move, and we've got Isaac Webster, our executive producer, here to help us understand it all. Isaac, I hope you've had a good, quiet week this last yes, week. I, I don't Boring. know what, I don't know to what Family you're life, referring. Little kids running around. <laughs> well, I know that you're against the walls. trying to ask me about uh, my Sunday night. What happened Sunday night, Isaac? We, uh, my husband and I went to the Grammys. It was amazing. You went to the Grammys, like just like regular old people just kind of rolled up in your sequin were they seeking? I saw your husband's post on Instagram. I can't remember. Knowing him, it probably was ridiculously awesome. A sequin jumpsuit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, well, uh, we, uh, we, my husband works for CBS, so they help, they do the Grammys and they gave us, they, they invited us along. So it was amazing. It was a really, really great show. Um, did you catch Loved it? Did you watch show. it? I watched it. Yeah. I haven't watched it in years. I haven't really cared much for years. I, I remember when I worked at Vibe Magazine a very long time ago, it was a big deal. Uh, the different editors kind of elbowing the other editors out of the way with the tickets, but uh, uh-huh. great yeah. show, great performances in this show. Um, the 50 years of hip hop for a 50 something like me was wonderful to watch. It was great seeing LL. It was great seeing Rakim who yeah. I just, I listen to all the time still. I just was fantastic. I mean, all the performances were great. I mean, uh, Busta Rhymes in that hip hop segment, Queen Latifah, it was just unreal. Bad Bunny. Oh, if you, you ever get a chance to see Bad, Bad Bunny, Bunny. was not in the history of hip hop, but he is part of the history of hip hop. If you ever get a chance to see a Bad Bunny, awesome. just do it. Bad Bunny was just next level, I have to say. And then, yeah, I mean, obviously, um, all of them were great. Lizzo was great. They're all good. Lizzo's always great. Yeah. So what score was I was also us, thrilled yeah. that I, I, I understand the political reasons behind it, but there was a, a, a straight jazz artist who won Best New Artist. Like just um, a plain old wonderful jazz singer. Oh, she was one. Yeah, she, and her voice. Oh, magic. She's great. Yeah, she sounds ancient. She sounds. She sounds. She's a young woman who sounds just full. Samara Very Joy young. is her name. Check out her 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 new album off of from Verve, her official major record release. I hear she's just I hear she's great people too. We have some mutual friends. Well, if I may, I was yes. sitting pretty near her, and um, 
she's she was seated next to Diplo, the DJ, uh, the that night. And I didn't know who she was. I didn't recognize her. Um, and I thought that she was just, I thought she was friends with Diplo. <laughs> you know, this beautiful woman just said, you know, and then she called up like, oh, that's the best new artist. And oh my gosh, <laughs> that's how her voice sounds. I mean, she's incredible. I've, I now follow her on Spotify. I'm a huge fan. <laughs> Stevie Wonder right. too, by the way, that Stevie Wonder performance was incredible. Yeah, Stevie was nice. Oh, uh, yeah. He never disappoints. So, Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? Hey, I want to look at Brunswick, the boat maker. Brunswick trades under BC and shares have risen 22% this year and are only lower by around 6% if you're looking at a 12-month chart. That's pretty good for the last year that we've had. Especially given what's going on right now in the boating sector, where it's a little different than what we've seen. We've, we've seen kind of... Um, uh, unrestrained growth in the sector since the pandemic. It's one of those pandemic outdoor activities that has benefited so well. And a business that was doing okay before that anyway. Uh, and inventory has been the whole story for a long time. Well, inventories have finally caught up. The market slowed down a little bit. You've seen some other boat makers report results that weren't super strong. So Brunswick really surprised us here. I should mention we are doing Brunswick because one of our listeners, one of our devoted listeners, uh, is a Brunswick follower and shareholder and suggested that we take a look at these earnings. And I'm so glad he did suggested that because uh, this is not what you'd expect. They are year-over-year -year revenues uh, for the full year up 17%, profits up 14% at a 10% margin. So a pretty good year for them. But their outlook was also pretty strong because they're predicting strong sales of motors, if not boats, that the boat sales are a little bit slower, but the, mo the motor replacements and the motor enhancements and indeed their new brand of aviator um, uh, electric motors, which they announced at the Consumer Electronics Show in January, they have high expectations there as well. And uh, that led to a really strong quarter, strong outlook. Yes, Isaac, your thoughts? In the spirit of there are no dumb questions, can Just you only use- to ask them. Can you only use a Brunswick motor in a boat? In a Brunswick boat? Or are they applicable to I guess other... you could use it to beat eggs in the kitchen or if you're making like a batter. So I guess there are oh, no dumb in questions, a, in but there are dumb Brunswick answers boat. is what you're saying. Um, you, can, <laughs> uh, you can use an outboard motor regardless uh -huh. of the manufacturer okay. in most cases All right. as, as, as an outboard motor. You could also have the new engine installed if you want. But yes, the outboard motors uh, can be used interchangeably with different types of boats. Okay. I wouldn't recommend a 200 horsepower outboard motor on a rowboat, but you know. Might be kind of fun for a second. Yeah, about a second. Maybe not even. <laughs> Here is CEO David Folks talking about uh, not just the demand, uh, uh, the increasing demand in motors, if not boats, but also the pricing environment that they're not seeing inflation uh, uh, pushback from their consumers because they've been jacking prices for years. Here's David Folks. We've had two years of pretty strong pricing, uh, that, that the top end of the market, um, particularly the premium end of fiberglass remains very strong. So we're benefiting from mix and we have deliberately responded to some of that weakness on the boat side by mixing up in terms of um, producing fewer of the really um, a kind of lower end value product um, than we used to and focusing uh, more on some of the top end. Another factor is, I think, as you saw, that although um, the boat market is down, the outboard engine market is anything but. 
Um, so uh, even though it was essentially flat to last year, uh, I think you know what's happening with our share gains, and we anticipate uh, those share gains um, continuing as we get the capacity online. And I'm even excited about the introduction of Avatar. Uh, we expect to make thousands of units of Avatar this year, and, and we expect them to be profitable as well. So I think um, uh, outboard engines, in which it was a real big strength of ours, are not down uh, with the market. And then what we have seen is uh, pretty robust. I know that we were a bit down in the fourth quarter, which we can talk about, but pretty robust um, boating participation, which uh, you know led to our P&A business being uh, pretty much flat on a um, constant currency acquisitions basis. So we continue to see that good participation. So I think some components of that downside story um, of, of uh, occurred to some extent, but I think our response to it and the way that the market has developed in our favor, particularly in high horsepower, more premium product, uh, has has mitigated a lot of that impact. And, and we, we don't foresee that changing. So yeah, when your customers are spending more money in their most expensive products, that's nothing but good news for any business. Corey, what is your next drill down? I want to look at RH. Have you been to these uh, RH, these new RH stores, of which there are a few? I think there's a, a big one in the LA area. Um, I don't know that I've been to a new RH store. I've been to many. Very RH different stores. than the old stores. Where would we they, find a new one? Uh, well, the, the, uh, there's a big new one in San Francisco that I was in uh, this weekend. In fact, I ran into CEO uh, Gary Friedman there, uh, the CEO of RH. Ah, well, RH, of R course. RH trades under RH. And shares Shocker. have gained uh, 23% since the start of 2023, but they're also lower by 23% if you're looking at a 12-month chart. So let's call so it So break even. even for the year. Yeah. No, down 23% for the year. What, what they've made up this year gets them right back to, to, to yeah. still a 23% loss. So yeah. uh, um, this company, formerly Restoration Hardware, is underneath, uh, has, is getting a lot of attention from analysts and a lot of hope from Wall Street that they will open these new big fancy stores. They always open late. The San Francisco store, I think, was three years late. They're enormous in some cases, tens of thousands of feet, 40,000 feet or so. Um, the San Francisco store, the furniture is huge. The space is many stories and brightly lit. And there's a restaurant on the first floor that, that's uh, super expensive and, and, and super fancy. And the food actually was just terrific. There has been a store in Yountville uh, up in Napa Valley uh, that I thought was kind of average. But, boy, they've really fixed the food uh, fantastically um, in any case. What they haven't fixed is their accounting. This company has had so many accounting changes and CF, they've had three CFOs in the last five or six years. Um, they announced on Friday night, right before I ran into the CEO at, at, at RH uh, on Saturday, they announced a, a, uh, an accounting correction. They said they got uh, challenged by the Securities and Exchange Commission. They did some things wrong in their accounting, that their financial results, uh, uh, that they'd overstated their earnings for uh, three of the four quarters of last year. Yeah. And they were going to have to restate those earnings. This restatement might, might not be the last restatement. There's a material weakness in their filings and they, their filings should not be trusted. And they have not fixed their material weakness in their accounting. But they also announced the share buyback. So the stock fell some and then bounced back some. Um, but it was pretty ugly. Um, but specifically, and I spent a, uh, a lot of time in this one doing some research um, over the weekend. Uh, and, and, uh, 
you know, fundamentally what they did is, is they overstated their earnings by a lot, uh, by about 43% in, this, in the first quarter of last year. It caused them to report a huge earnings beat that wasn't real. The stock surged after that. Of course, the CEO is paid mostly in stock. Um, and so the stock surged based on a, on a phony number, a number that was incorrectly calculated. Um, and now in this restatement, it looks like the beat wasn't there. It was all just a, you know, a, a, an accounting mistake. In, in, in particular, this accounting mistake, um, it had a couple of elements to it. The biggest one is they, they, they got rid of some um, uh, convertible uh, debt and they just uh, didn't account for the taxes correctly. They also, in paying the CEO, thought they could deduct his the taxes, the, the stock that they gave him as an expense, but you can't deduct CEO pay over a million dollars. How are and they so explaining they all is, these? How are they explaining this? Where, where are they saying is behind this? Uh, I mean, they only got, they, they're only, are they only coming up to uh, admitting it because they got, you know, tapped on the shoulder by the SEC? So they got, they said they got a comment letter from the SEC. They will be required to file that publicly, but they have not done so yet. So we don't know what the SEC said to them, but they, mm. they got caught. They didn't find it on their own. Uh, they got caught by the SEC and restated. They did it on a Friday night. They announced a buyback in the midst of it, helped the shares, which helped the shares recover. <coughs> Sorry. Okay. So the accounting is still a question. We still don't know, according to RH, we don't have accounting statements that can be relied upon, the material internal controls necessary. Can't keep this from happening. That's according to RH. Those still don't exist. But the company's buying back its own stock. Yeah, we don't know how much. They announced a $2 billion fund to, to buy back the stock in the middle of 2022. That would be a third of the entire company's market cap if they were to buy it all back. But they actually slowed down the buyback in the most recent quarter before we knew about this accounting problem. So how do they think about the buyback? Well, according to RH CEO Gary Friedman, not much. There's lots of examples of people who went out and spent a lot of money on buybacks and went bankrupt, you know, and Bed Bath & Beyond will probably be the next one that does, you know, and yes, they're pretty famous for how much stock they bought back, you know, um, so, I, you know, I don't, I don't know exactly how, you know, this housing market's going to play out. I don't know if the housing market's going to, it, it almost always, like the housing market is in a recession. I mean, it, if somebody doesn't think that, I'd like, I'd, I'd, I'd love to just do a zoom and put our numbers up for you. But, you know, the new numbers will come out for the next quarter and we'll, we'll know how far it goes down. But the odds are it could be down 35, it could be down 40. So when we start seeing trends like that, um, you know, I don't, I don't know how it comes all apart. Did, did anyone see 2008 coming? Because the way the market reacted, it didn't seem like it, right? And nobody sees the, the big implosions. Um, and you know, we're not greedy. I, again, we're, we're not, we're not going to accomplish our goals here based on a buyback. So we're spending our, you know, we, we'd rather just go, look, you know, like where is, where's the world going right now? We've never pumped this many trillions of dollars into the economy. You know, 
Interest rates have never raised, uh, accelerated this fast. Inflation, you know, hit numbers that we haven't seen in 40 years. Um, it seems like Powell kind of, you know, sounds relatively confident when he's up there, but he's the guy that raised interest rates way too slow. You know, he's the guy that didn't start easing. I mean, he should have raised interest rates and not let the housing bubble happen. You know, uh, housing prices went up from 2020 to 2022 by, by 45%. You know, that's never happened except in the 70s. The two-year period, housing going up 45%. Uh, and, and so, and, and like, I, I, you know, it's like, I don't want to sit here and have all kinds of debt and not have any clarity of, you know, what it looks like out there. So let's, you know, let's let the storm become clear. Let's make sure we can see the shore. You know, does that mean, oh, maybe the stock runs a little bit and we buy a little less? I, it's not, you know, we're not here spending all our time trying to figure out how to optimize a buyback. We think our stock's undervalued today. Um, could it get worse? I, I think business will get worse before it gets better. Will our stock get worse before it gets better? I don't know. Um, but I, I haven't been here for 22 years. But, you know, spend all my time thinking about that. We got much more exciting things to focus on. When we have a better view of the shore, that will make the right decisions. A better view of the shore? I can't think of a better metaphor for unspecified accounting problems that haven't ended yet, perhaps. Corey, what's your next drill down? Finally, I want to take a look at Pinterest. Pinterest. I uh, haven't talked about Pinterest in a while. It trades under P-I-N-S, PINs. Shares have risen over 12% since the start of 2023 and are only lower by just under 4% over the past year. Uh, and reporting a quarter that was pretty good, a fiscal year that was pretty good, uh, revenue's up 9% for the fiscal year. Um, their net loss is a lot better than it was. They lost about, about $100 million uh, compared to $300 million the year before. Um, and I thought um, what was really interesting was the quarter. I, you know, I would have expected a, a sort of a second tier advertising platform like Pinterest there's only two in the first tier, which are, are Google and, and Facebook, um, that maybe they start to see some of the, as we described it last week, the canary in the coal mine effect of advertising, spending, slowing as we uh, uh, enter into more rocky financial times, if not a recession. Uh, but, but indeed, they're seeing growth where there was fear of a recession. And uh, the company is also changing in uh, uh, right before our eyes right now with a new CEO, Bill Reddy, coming in two years ago. Bill Reddy came from Google, but maybe more interestingly, he ran the Venmo business at PayPal uh, for, or before it was at PayPal, for a very long time. Um, and is really a genius, um, Harvard MBA genius, uh, when it comes to understanding payments in a modern world, but also understanding a way for Pinterest to have some new um, relevant um, revenues. And so while 4 to 6% revenue growth isn't something to write home about in most times, right now it's pretty good, particularly as they move towards video. Yeah, Pinterest video, only 10% of their, their, uh, their uh, service at this point, but a substantial portion 
of their revenues. Here's CEO Bill Reddy. While four to six percent revenue growth typically wouldn't be something to write home about, we're actually outperforming compared to a lot of our peers. And we believe we're gaining share, especially with our larger and most sophisticated advertisers, uh, where we're gaining more share of wallet. So as we've talked about, we have huge growth potential in front of us, uh, and I'll try to frame out that, that potential. Uh, so when I came to Pinterest uh, two quarters ago, analysts and investors had a few questions. Could we regain share with our core user base after the pandemic unwind? Could we compete in a world of more short form video? And could we build a monetization engine at scale? After a little over six months, I'm more confident than ever that we can do all of the above, and we're focusing our investments and in employing operational discipline across the organization to get there. So on the first question, can we return to user growth? Yes, we've returned to year-over-year -year MAU growth, and better than that, we're seeing double-digit growth in our most monetizable and stickiest mobile app uh, MAUs. Uh, and we're also seeing that our engagement overall is growing double-digit percentages uh, so uh, we feel really good about the growing sessions and the fact that sessions are growing even faster than users, and that growth is accelerating. Uh, in fact, in our 10K, which will be filed today, you'll see that our weekly active to monthly active user ratio is at its highest level ever, at 61%. That's clear evidence that we're deepening engagement, as we've been talking about for the last couple quarters, and finding really good success there. Second. We can compete in a world where our peers, uh, you know, the, the second question was, can we compete in a world where our peers are all in on short form video? And I think we're answering that question with a clear yes as well, but doing it on our own terms. Uh, our supply of content is growing. Uh, video content is up 30% quarter on quarter. Um, we're finding more efficient ways to get engaging content on Pinterest, serve the needs of our penners, uh, you know, from inspiration to action. And importantly, while we're seeing more than 10% of our engagement is on video, it's more than 30% of our revenue that is on short form video. So when we think about monetizing that short form video, which I think has been an open question broadly, we're seeing really good success in the monetization of short form video, which I think is, is, is unique and stands out. So yeah, I would say monetization of short form video is unique and does stand out and good on Bill Reddy. He mentioned MAUs in there a few times. Sorry, to, monthly active users. Thank you. Uh, and very important dynamic. Not not just how many people are, you know, once signed up for Pinterest or have a, you know, I, I have a Pinterest account. I would go on there probably once every other month. So one, uh -huh. and, and any given month I'm an MAU and, I'm, and the next month I'm not. What is, what is this Pinterest video? I, I'm not really. It's exactly I'm not what really. you would you'd imagine. It's, it's. It's okay. video of cool things that people want to keep uh, uh, records of or, you know, wallpapers yeah. that they liked or, or you know, God knows what people use in Pinterest for. Clothing that they thought looked cool. I feel like this is evolving remember. into like what Facebook hoped for its marketplace. Remember that? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it so still exists. I don't even know. It, it's still kind of scrapbooking, but it, uh, I, I find it actually a really useful service for design things and things that we have plans for future podcasts and stuff. I often keep little Pinterest uh uh, boards on, on those things. Oh, it's a great mood board. Goal board. What do you call that? A vision board. Yes. Oh, God. That's how I got to the Grammys. Right up there on my Pinterest vision board. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, 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 this is not my jam. Uh, more my jam, semiconductors. Smart Global Holdings. Interesting company. Uh, and a very different co company than the, the old predecessor, Smart Modular, 
they've found a way to put together some some different kinds of chip companies to try to take the volatility out of this business as they grow. CEO Mark Adams joins us right after this. The Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com, to learn more. Welcome back to the Drill Down Podcast. We are joined right now by Mark Adams. He is the CEO of Smart Global. A company that I knew once upon a time called, I think it was Smart Mod, uh, was a was a, a much smaller company, a much a, a less diversified company, and and is a piece of Smart Global as is as is Cree, a company from my old days of uh, of technology. Uh, Mark, glad to have you on, um, uh, and, and hope you can catch us up on kind of what this business is now. It used to be 100% memory; it's a lot more than that now. Yeah, that's right. And that, that was kind of the. Uh... Uh, catalyst for me to join the company. At the time, it was kind of operating as a semi-public, semi-private company. Silver Lake, which is a large technology PE firm, owned about 37% of the company and recruited me to come in as a CEO to drive the diversification path. Um, I think they got to a point with the memory module business that you're referring to under smart modular right. brand. They got to the point that that was a kind of a overly cyclical business. And then also half of that was in Brazil, which is, you know, challenging on uh, other vectors being consumer facing and, you know, emerging market risks and what have you. And so they set on a, they set out a charter to diversify the company. And that's really been our focus. Uh, first with the acquisition of Cree back in the fall of 2020. And then um, also uh, a more recent acquisition we did this summer, we're diversifying the company away from a pure memory play into compute and LED as well, and and it's uh, it's really had helped us kind of um, be able to scale the company. As you noted, it was a much smaller company at one point. Today, you know, we're about a billion eight last twelve months revenue. That's up from just two years ago. We were a billion one. Uh, gross margins were nineteen percent at the time. Now they're high twenties, twenty seven, twenty eight percent. So making some progress on this path of diversifying the business and. Uh, um, you know, kind of just starting out two years into uh, my time with the company and our team's time. And uh, and I, I want to get uh, well. Let's start with smart mod. So uh, the, the, that that core business, those smart modules, memory modules. What are they? What do they do from a from a layman's perspective? Well, when you think about um, uh, computing in general as an application, without memory, you cannot have computing because memory is where the compute processing actually occurs. Uh, so when you buy a computer, you hear the word DRAM or systems memory. Uh, and what we do is we make uh, custom memory modules and custom in the sense that we design them for a unique application environment, could be security, could be networking, could be high performance computing uh, and what have you. And we do this and what's custom about it? it could be the size and form factor, could be the reliability and the quality. It could be the speed and the, the performance and the bandwidth, which is a big topic these days and and AI and machine learning as high performance uh, computing is is the, the the offset of that is also high bandwidth memory, which is normally the bottleneck. And so we work on these specially designed, custom designed applications for our end customers to enable them to drive better compute performance. How customized are they and how difficult it is every time you add a new customer to, to create the, the product that they need? 
Um, well, we have a, you know, we're, 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 we define ourselves as a specialty company and especially meaning we have an engineering led solutions business model that we go to the customer and we actually end up building prototypes and, and trying to understand their requirements and build a product specifically for them. And so it's normally a 12 to 18 month time frame where the design in piece of the business is, is, uh, is truly a customer engagement model. And um, so it is somewhat custom. I mean, it's, it takes some time. And we have we have a, a more commodity-based business in Brazil, as I was mentioning. But the the growth business in memory for us has been this enterprise specialty business where we are involved and engaged with the customer over time. And we might start out with product, you know, uh, development orders, and then that gets into a production volume. And even that's relatively low because not everyone needs custom modules. Does that mean that that a, a new customer coming on will spend more with you in the first year than they do maybe in the second year because there's so much design work happening and so much sort of a more services, not services kind of business, but all that initial design that goes into it. Because I I noticed in your, in your SEC filings, you, you, you report a customer concentration of over 10% for two customers, but not not the same two customers year after year. Well, that's, that's interesting. And is that why we're seeing that? Because somebody has spends a lot in year one falls off a little bit in year two. Actually, it's the opposite. Um, okay. Uh, and what you're seeing is those customers that come and go, we, they, we, we've cultivated those customer relationships, and then there might be a big project or two. And that actually, that's not just germane to our memory business. That, that I think what you're referring to is also part of our uh, high-performance compute business that we have, which is the compute leg of our business. So, uh, But what, what normally happens is year one or year two is relatively smaller business and then it starts to peak in year two, three, and then hopefully we get the next project and we can grow the customer right. multiple products. So it's it's a, but what you're referring to is the NRE model. We build that into uh, our customer kind of proposal. Sorry, yeah. What's that stand for? I'm sorry. It's, it's basically, it's a, it's a, what you, I thought you were referring to is kind of a design engineering fee up front. And we, we build that into the product cost and that's why our margins have been going up higher and higher. Oh, interesting. Um, and uh, another interesting thing, you mentioned Brazil. While you guys essentially manufactured chips and LEDs, which are manufactured in a very similar way, um, uh, the, most of your manufacturing is not in China. Some oh, of correct. Correct. Well, you know, that, but because one of the keys... When you, when or you, Taiwan, you hear the, for that matter. For, right, none of it. Actually, we, we our manufacturing is in Brazil, uh, the U.S., and a little bit in Malaysia. But Malaysia, yeah. But the issue that you're hitting on is interesting because when, when I say specialty, um, people all of a sudden, like, what does specialty mean? Well, that means we're custom. So we're not high volume. We're not making for mobile phones or for desktop notebooks here in the U.S. We're making for true, unique niche markets. And uh, uh, even though they're driven by the catalyst of these high-end uh, investment categories like AI and machine learning, they're custom. And so... What's nice is to have the manufacturing local, we can do low volume, high mix type manufacturing, which our customers need. Uh, and so we don't, we're not, a, we're not a large volume, high, high volume, low cost manufacturer, like a Taiwan or uh, Chinese model. Um, we're really truly a custom model and customers need it. We do something unique for them and they value that. And that's how we make our money. So how does the LED, LED business fit into that? Now, Cree in the LED world was always promising, I'm going back many years, but was always promising certain colors and certain lights that no one else could make 
in LED and they were going to be more high end, but that was still going to be commodity and make lots of them. That seems like it's a different kind of model. Well, um, that's the old Cree as you know it. And yeah. then what they, what they did was they separated the lighting business, which is a commodity fixture business, and they sold that. And then we we acquired the LED specialty lighting business, which is basically uh, focused again, very similar theme on unique environments like horticulture, architectural lighting, emergency vehicles. Like who thinks of LEDs when they see ambulances and fire trucks and what have you? But they have these unique requirements and Cree manufacturers high power LEDs, a very small segment uh, segment of the overall LED business, which has gotten commoditized and moved to Taiwan and China. We, we are one of four companies that do high power LEDs, lumen per watts above 300, 325, and of great quality, uh, as opposed to what I would call, well, not the industry calls, low power, mid power chips, which are really commoditized. The high power stuff is really unique to the end markets. And as I said, we're not in light bulbs. That's not that's that was another division of Cree that was sold off. What we right. we we were very interested in the specialty nature of this high power um, custom end markets, like I mentioned earlier. In addition to architectural and horticulture, and especially um, a number of different other markets, stadium lighting, for example, very unique requirements for quality and output. Uh, retail lighting. You know, you go into a mall, um, and you know. Uh, individual stores have their own ambience they're trying to achieve, and that's color and lighting uh, uh, effects that they're trying to work in their store environment. And that goes back to their brand and their culture. So um, we're looking at very unique end markets, and uh, it's been a gross margin business that's been you know really attractive to us. Now that LED business had a really rough quarter last quarter, and I couldn't. I, I read the transcript, but I didn't really, couldn't really figure out what was going on there and how temporary well, that turned down might be. Yeah, I think it's, uh, I look, I think um, the capital markets right now are messy, as you you know, and uh, what we're seeing is our consumer and consumer facing businesses, as well as some of the uh, more government uh, and project oriented uh, type businesses like LED infrastructure uh, that we're in those end markets, those expenses are kind of being pushed out. Um, stadium, like stadium projects are being kind of pushed out a little bit. Um, some of our business globally is being pushed out a little bit. And so uh, it's not, you know, it's not a, a lot unlike memory. I mean, if you look at memory today, uh, Micron's a big memory index in the U.S. Their revenue is down from you eight, think? Billion, 8 billion down to 4 billion, right? And right. so like we're seeing this across the board. Luckily for us in this diversification path we're in, we've had other businesses um, actually pick up the, the slack and we've had a, we had a great earnings call two weeks ago uh, with computing, you know, making up for the downturn in, in consumer memory and uh, LED. Well, I guess that's my question, right? If you're in, if you're going from one volatile market to three volatile markets, but they all tend to, the volatility tends to go in the same direction. Are, is it, is it uh, to paraphrase Peter Lynch, is it diversifying or diversifying? That's a good question. I think, um, what we're seeing in, uh, well, when you're coming from memory, anything's diversifying. Um, it, yeah. I, I spent 10 years as a, up in Micron. I was president of Micron and um, it's a tough business. They're, you know, they're seeing the stress of the, the uh, cyclicality of that business in, in, in a recessionary environment, so to speak. But if you look at um, our which business. Is, which to me is kind of interesting because we haven't seen that in so long. And I wonder if there are people new to following that sector or even new to investing in that sector. Not that this is necessarily an investing show, but you know, who are saying, oh, geez, this, this really is volatile. Chips really are volatile. So I'm like, welcome back to the 1990s, you know? 
Oh, for sure. Well, no, not even. I mean, it's, it was uh, 2008 during the real estate crisis. Yeah. That was a that was an amazing time in terms of we, we, we actually ended up buying a competitor out of bankruptcy when I was at Micron. But um, it's it's been that theme. And, and now DRAM's consolidated, but flash memory's not in that business. If you right. go back to a question you asked me about our diversification, it's really end market diversification where we have, you know, enterprise business that's done quite well, had a record business. But, you know, it's, despite all of what we're talking about today, we had a record gross margin for the company in our last quarter that we announced two weeks ago. I mean, it because of that diversification. So I think the end market diversification and the fact that we're kind of somewhat custom and we don't manufacture the chips, so we don't have the the manufacturing fab uh, exposure that some of these other companies have to invest in. We're more of a, a, an assembly developer, designer, and integrator model that uh, kind of uh, allows us to really focus on the value add part of the business. And then, and uh, you know, we'll see, I guess, over time how that diversification works or doesn't work. But but right now, you feel good about how it's going. Well, I mean, I think. Look, um, if I look at our business relative to our peers. Um, we just beat on revenue and we just had record gross margins um, and we are diversifying the business. I mean, we're, our exposure to Brazil used to be half our business and now it's less than 20. Our exposure to memory used to be, as you noted earlier, was 100%. 100%. Now it's less than 45. So, um, and, then, and that's a good thing because compute and AI and machine learning and data analytics, the spending there is just in the early innings. So, that has customer concentration part of it. That has a little cyclicality, but I truly believe that this has been a great path for the company. And I think you'll see more of it for, from us. Mark Adams, thank you very much. Appreciate your time. Mark Adams is the CEO of Smart Global. We appreciate the conversation with him. Coming up right after this, the bite, the one number that tells us a whole lot about Smart Global when the drill down continues. The Drill Down is brought to you by Era. With Era, give yourself an information advantage, connect directly to earnings calls and other investor events with live transcription and event intelligence. That's Era, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And there are so many ways to listen to The Drill Down, but you can help more people listen to The Drill Down by telling them. Tell your friends, tell someone who might be interested in a show that digs into business and how businesses work, which we love doing and we know you love listening to. You probably know someone else who does as well. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at Drill Down Pod and connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. All right, we are back with the Drill Down Bite, the one number that tells us a whole lot about Smart Global. Isaac, five years ago, Smart Global Holdings had 100% of their revenue based on memory sales, but on a trailing 12-month basis... That number is down to, ready, here's your bite, 54%. So we'll see how diversified that makes them ultimately, you know, if they're, like I said, if they're tying themselves to, to similar performing markets, even if they're geographically dispersed, it, they won't have the great advantage of diversity. But it's, uh, it's, it's interesting to see what they've done with this business that was really so uh, um, uh, frustratingly, painfully cyclical. Yeah, and that, but that is quite a change, though, from 100 to 50. To 50. And where are we not hearing about machine learning, artificial intelligence? It's, we've been hearing about it for a long time, but I think that it's, it's so much more the rage right now. And you're starting to see some products come out of that, uh, all this long time research and computing uh, uh, capabilities increase. But I heard something about ChatGPT the other day that um, 
that the average cost of a search could be as much as three to five dollars per search. Wow, that seems steep. Um, it's not as it's not as cheap as a Google search, which provides less information, arguably. But uh, um, the, it, it'll be interesting to see if they can get those costs down to make it a functional business. Obviously, they're not right. focused on revenue right now, Chat GPT. But when you think about what it takes to build the computers that can do that kind of um, compute so much more efficiently in the specific requirements of a machine learning a, of the of an AI search, um, a smart mod is smart. The smart modular business inside of Smart Global is an important part of that. All right. We appreciate your time. Isaac Webster is our executive producer. I'm Corey Johnson. This show is edited by Ben Wilson, who is extraordinaire. The Drill On is a production of the Business Podcast Network. Thank you.